Well, good morning, Shepherd of the Valley. How are we doing today? It's okay if you're not. (laughs) It really is. I say that as some sort of greeting. And uh, whether you are having a great day or a great week, uh, or you're not having a great day or week, you're invited into this space to breathe in who God is and His truth and His goodness. And uh, we're honored and, and grateful that you're here. Whether you're watching and being here and participating in person, or you're watching live or at a later time, if we haven't met, I'm Sam, one of the pastors here at Shepherd, and I'm great. I'm grateful that you're here, and uh, and I'm excited to preach the Word of God with you today and uh, look at the truths of who God is and who He says we are in light of that. We've been in a series that's going to take us a number of months to to slowly unpack, and that's about a blessing and a curse. And what we're doing in these first number of weeks, about the first five or six weeks, is looking at the origins. What is the core thoughts of what uh, a blessing and a curse is all about? And then we'll begin to continue to lean into those themes and discover more and more of what those mean in terms of how we live. So if you're still trying to grasp a hold of what this is all about, hang on for the ride with us as we discover together. Now, before we jump into the message, um, I want to celebrate with you because we've been in a, uh, a time in our church calendar where we have been talking about uh, getting connected in small groups. You don't have to raise your hand, but I'm just wondering if you're a part of a uh, connection of some sort with a group, because that is what we're built on here at Shepherd of the Valley. We're so excited when you log in online or you're in person and filling a seat, but we, we find that it's most effective if we are in circles and doing life together. And so we're celebrating 40 people plus being connected this time that are new to our community or new to being in a group. So I think that's worth clapping about, huh, Shepherd? Yeah. But it's not too late. Maybe you have not jumped in yet. We encourage you to go to sov.church/connect, and there's still time for you to jump into an online group or an in-person group and be a part of just a six-week segment of time that we are jumping into in the next series in February. Uh, I know we're in February, but later in February, called Neighboring. And so we hope that you do that with us. Now, um, as we get started today, I want to do just a form of review about what blessing is and what a curse is in terms of what we've been looking at from the beginning in Genesis 1 and 2 and Genesis 3. So here's what we've been looking at as, we, as a form of review. Week 1 in Genesis 1 and verse 28, we talked about bless. we're blessed. It's not what's something that we reach for. It's something that God says we already are. If you are a human, if you have breath in your lungs and your heart is still beating, God says that, that although um, He wants you to be fruitful, uh, that's up for debate regarding how you choose to live your life but He has given you the seeds of what it takes to be blessed. And so whether you feel blessed or not today, church, the good news is is that God has, has formed you and made you, and He says you already are blessed. Can you just say that with me? I'm blessed. One, two, three. I'm blessed. Very good. Very good. So that was what we learned week one, essentially. Week two, Jeremy talked about Genesis 2 and the power of rest. And God gives us rest so that we, can, that we can breathe in, that we can lay down work, that we can rest in Him. And so He gave this definition. Blessing is from God's perspective is simply about Him drawing close to us. So when we rest, it gives our bodies and our souls opportunity to allow Him to come close to us. 
What we're learning in this series is, is this idea of blessing is kind of like a kaleidoscope. There's multiple definitions, and we're going to continue to grow in that understanding of what a blessing is, particularly as we look towards Jesus and beyond. Now, Genesis 3 introduces the word a curse. And here's how Jeremy defined curse. Curse is the absence of a life-giving connection with God. So, a curse is is not something that God places upon humanity. A curse is the result of humanity choosing for themselves how they want to live their life. It's like Burger King, have it your way. BK, have it your way. You've seen the commercial. I know I'm not supposed to sing, but it seems to make you laugh, and that makes me happy. Have it your way. When we choose for ourselves what we think a blessing is, without God's guidance and leading, that essentially could be, in fact, what we carry or hold on to could be a curse. And he says, I give you the honor of choosing. And as a result of the curse beginning in Genesis 3, we see what's called decreation or brokenness ensue on the planet. And we see this in the Genesis story. And what I want to show you is in just one slide what looks like the unraveling of humanity. You see, every single blessing or curse is at a crossroads. I say it this way. There's a crossroads of blessing and a curse with every human choice. We can choose to listen and follow God's lead of what blessing is, or we can choose to define it for ourselves. Every single decision, large or small, brings us to a crossroads where we listen to God and receive the blessings that He has for us, or will we choose at that crossroads to choose in our own minds what blessing should and shouldn't be, and we can find ourselves in that position of brokenness and decreation that takes place. And we'll talk about what that looks like in our lives, but I want to show you how the biblical story shows this to be true that all of humanity is at a crossroads of choosing God's way of blessing or choosing our own way. That is an unraveling of humanity. Let's take a look. First, you have Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 who sees autonomy for themselves. And as a result, of course, Jeremy talked about last week, last week, hiding and putting fig leaves over ourselves as a result of us trying to choose good and right in our own eyes. And that begins to bring the curse on the planet. And then you have the first kids, Cain and Abel, where Cain chooses out of anger to kill his brother. And Lamech is in the story in Genesis 3 and 4, and basically Lamech says, you know what Cain did? I'm going to multiply that pain. So Lamech is basically multiplying the deconstruction, the decreation, the brokenness. And then it continues to unravel to the point in about Genesis 5 and 6 where where God looks at the planet and He says, humans are only evil all the time. And what does He do? He sends the flood. Listen to this. You want to know what have it your way looks like? In Genesis 1 and 2, God breathes life over the Ruach, the, the waters, and He essentially holds them back. He holds them back. 
In Genesis 5 and 6, as he looks out at humanity and it's only evil all the time, the flood is literally God saying, have it your way and releasing the chaotic waters. He says, if this is the life you want, have it your way. But because God continues to make a way, he sees that Noah, out of all the humanity, loves God and wants to honor God, and he makes a way. A little bit of grace in the midst of the chaos. A little bit of blessing in the midst of destruction. And you see that. And then Noah comes on the scene, and that's what he's like. But then there's this weird scenario in about Genesis chapter 10 where, where Noah's sons see their drunken dad. And in the Hebrew, Hebrew scholars debate on what exactly happened under the tent. But all we know is that as an English reader and scholars, as we zoom in on that story, is like, whoa, something significantly ugly happened under that tent. And so although God blessed Noah and he said, we got someone who loves me. We got someone who wants to step into the blessing. They too choose for themselves right and wrong, and there's still a fracture that unravels all the way downward to the Tower of Babel. At the Tower of Babel, you know what they say? Let's make a name for ourselves. It's the pinnacle of pride in the Genesis account story. You see that the world is looking and ends up in complete mess. Now, there's a whole bunch of ways we could illustrate this, but for time and speed, I thought we would just go to Dr. Seuss' Cat in the Hat. <laughs> Remember, Cat in the Hat comes, and he, he wants to have a lot of fun, and all of a sudden, he destroys the house when the mom is gone, and all of a sudden, they look at the mess, and they go, what do we do now? Mom's coming home. And it begs the question, what is God going to do with the mess? As he looks at the unraveling that has taken place, he's already stepped into humanity time and time again, and they continue to choose their own way and choose the curse. Does God just say, ah, don't worry about it, I'll clean it up like the cat in the hat? Does he just say, you know what, you guys are just idiots, I'll just clean up your mess? He does something significant, and it helps us understand the character of God as we wrestle the, the messes in our own lives. Does God come in and just like Superman and clean up all our problems and challenges? No, look at what the character of God does. In Genesis chapter 12, the Lord had said to Abram, that's Abraham if you're like, hey, who's this Abram guy? God changes his name from Abram to Abraham. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. Look at this, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. On the backs of Genesis 11, where they say they're going to make a name for themselves, God blesses one human by the name of Abram or Abraham, and he, and he chooses to bless him. And look at what he says, I will make your name great. So we have a choice to make. We can choose to try to make a name for ourselves, the pinnacle of pride and destruction and the curse, or we can choose to humble ourselves and allow God to lead us, allow him to bless us his way, and he will do what he wants then with us. So look at what happens. You have the great unraveling 
And then you have Genesis 12 where God restores the blessing. You see, what I want you to see is God continually makes a way for humans to receive the blessing. Even when we mess up and we have mishaps and danglings and challenges, this is, you've got to hear this. If you're, if you're a Lutheran in the house and you understand Lutheran theology, this is grace that God meets humanity where they are. And he says, even though you've made a mess of it, I'm going to step in. Because your God and my God, the God who created you, is determined to bless you. In the midst of your mishaps, in the midst of your hang-ups, in the midst of your sin and you choosing your own way, he still wants to step in and bless you. Why? Because he loves you. And so Genesis chapter 12, you could say, is the curse in reverse. Come on, somebody. Yeah! You can clap for that because that's good news. It's God stepping into humanity once again and says, you know what, I'm not going to just be like cat in the hat and clean it all up. I want to partner with you to reverse the curse and bring the goodness of Genesis 1 and 2 back into humanity. This is so awesome. And he, God has the audacity with all his power, all his knowledge to want to partner with you and I. It's incredible. What I want to do for the next few minutes that we have together is show you how we might step in and partner with God to reverse the curse, okay? I want to help this come to life a little bit because what I'm guessing is you're like, I understand what curse looks like. I read the news. I read the challenge. You know, we could talk about the headlines that are heartbreaking, but how many public shootings have taken place between January and right now all around the country? from all races, all walks of life. It's a mess. Then we could zoom in and we could look at your life and talk about all the messes that we've made personally. And we could step back and see a little bit of the glimpse of the blessing that we've seen. But what I want to do together is in the midst of seeing and experiencing curses and blessings, what does it look like for us to see with God lenses of what it looks like to reverse the curse? from brokenness and disintegration and decreation to wholeness and healing and blessing once again. So, like a good Dietrich sermon, I've got three points for you today. The first one is the curse in reverse is a partnership, and God does the heavy lifting. It's not the cat in the hat approach, where he comes in with his crazy powers. Remember, he steps in with his little, like, crazy, like, go-kart thing with all the hands, and he just cleans it all up. He partners with humanity. He could have just stepped in and said, you know what? I'm going to do, like, an un-flood thing, and poof, he could just snap his hands and bring us back into Eden again. But there's something about the character of God that wants to work with us. So he blesses Abraham. Let's see how. Back to Genesis 12, 1 through 2. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. We already saw that. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. God initiates. God blesses. God makes a way. God gives. God restores. God extends a hand to us. 
but it's a partnership. Because what is he asking them to do? Go back one. To go. Even though he's blessed, God still has an invitation for him to walk in the blessing. Isn't this true? Like you can have the seeds of the blessing, but he still asks you to cultivate it, right? Everyone who's been into, into school understands this, that your brain has incredible capacity to learn, but we still got to step into the school systems. Come on, grandparents and parents, can I get a good amen? This is how the fabric of the universe is designed, that he calls us blessed, but he wants us to cultivate it. And so Abram has to take a step. This is called partnership. But what I'm afraid we have a tendency to do is over-promise our part of the bargain. The curse in reverse requires and is begging for a partnership, but God does the heavy lifting. Um, as you know, we got a fair amount of snow like a few weeks back, right? And, uh, and, and back a few more weeks in December, my, my youngest daughter is six years old, and she continued to ask to help me shovel. I thought that was so sweet of her. The other two don't know where they are, but Brindley, my six-year-old, wanted to help, and we had this other big shovel for t- another adult, and she's just kind of stumbling around. So I was online, and I was like, I should get her a shovel. <laughs> it's, if I, if, as cute as this is, when I looked at it online, there's like an adjustable thing here. Uh, I thought it was going to be more adjustable because even for my six-year-old, it's small. <laughs> so she's out there with me just a few weeks ago in the, in the heavy snow, and she's trying to help, right? And she's just the sweetest little girl. She stayed up there the entire time. And, uh, you know, she's cute and delicate and whatever. And, of course, I'm strong and effective, right? <laughs> I got a big shovel. You know, I got big muscles. And I shovel like crazy. And she does like this much. And I do like this much. But when we're done shoveling, do I turn to Brindley and say, hey, I did a great job? No. I'm not a terrible father. I said, good job, Brindley. We shoveled the driveway today, right? It's a partnership. And which part in that metaphorical story are we and God? We're the little shovel. Where we do just a little part and God does the big part. But what I am thinking based on my own dangling in my head, is that you're like me. And in our heads, we know we're the small shovel. But in life, we live like we're the big shovel. Am I right? I've never been more right in all my life. (laughs) And I know that because we believe like we're the little shovel, but we live with worry. We work like it depends on us. We worry like our kids depend solely on us. And then we even have the audacity to say things like, I should pray more, as if we're going to appease God and invite him into our journey, right? But what's even more ridiculous is, is 
if we're going to do some sort of metaphor between little shovel and big shovel, if, if Brinley is little shovel and I'm big shovel, if we're going to do cosmic, big, all-consuming, all-strong God, in all reality, we go out to the driveway with a spoon. If you're going to do some sort of comparison, and God is inviting us as we live, as small as it looks like our participation, we do participate. But he's inviting us to pray like it depends on him because he does the heavy lifting. We strive like we think we got the big shovel, but he wants us to not strive for, he wants us to worship in the work he's given us. What would it change if we started seeing ourselves as he sees us and participate appropriately? Work hard, yes, but while you do your work, know that God does the heavy lifting. Bring him into your messes because he's the big shovel. Amen? That's just point one. (laughs) Two, the curse in reverse will take guarding the promise. I need you to pay attention and, and soak this in because on Abram's journey or Abraham, He gets the blessing in chapter 12, and then he needs to step and live it out, as we know. And I want to zoom in on this moment where he's discussing with God how to hold on to the promise and the blessing while he's trying to take steps along the journey. Look at how this goes. Just a few chapters down the line, we see Abram. He took God, took him outside, and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. And look at Abram, believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He trusted God's promise that although him and his wife were barren for 80 years, God was going to do something special in and through him. And he believed and he trusted God. But look at, I love the Bible because it's honest. Look at what he does at the next turn. He also, that's God, said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. So he goes from the family he's going to expand through Abraham to now the land, also known as the promised land. You get with me? And so he's going to give him land and possession. So he just believed that somehow his family was going to be great. Look at his response now. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? In one moment, he's trusting God, and the next, he's not. Isn't that the most human thing you've ever heard in your life? The Bible is pretty good. So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these things to him, cut them in two, arranged the halves opposite of each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Pause. What's going on? Well, what is happening is in the ancient world, God is accommodating and meeting humanity where they're at. If this seems barbaric, don't place the barbaricness on God. Place the barbaricness on where the humans are at that time and space. That was a new thought I had today. We're like, oh my gosh, the Old Testament is so whatever, whatever. God is accommodating where human minds are at at that point in history. 
So if it sounds barbaric to you, welcome to the club. But God is meeting them there, and He's going to establish what they would understand to be a covenant, a promise, that as they walked, they would do this. Um, this is a, a metaphorical picture of how God, um, God's going to do this with Abram, but this is how they would do business. They would cut animals in half, and they would walk across and shake or do their little thing as a promise. And they said, and they would say to each other, if we break this promise, may we be as these animals are. Follow me? So God is meeting humanity where he's at, and he's saying, I'm going to make a promise with you. You're wondering if I'm going to make your name great, not only with your family, but the possessions. I'm making a promise to you, and look at what happens. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses. This is so raw. So they have this, these animals set up like this, yes? And Abram's going to walk in and walk through like he's going to receive the promise. And then these birds of prey, these vultures come in and start wanting to snatch the animals. It's like, what gives? The animals are trying to come in and steal the promise. Steal the moment to assure that they're going to receive God's promise going forward, right? And look at how Abram responds. But Abram drove them away. The curse in reverse will take guarding the promise. Whether it be vultures like the Old Testament with Abram, or the moments in our lives where we need to guard what God has placed in our hearts. Shepherd of the valley, may we be the kind of people that see ourselves as God sees them, and we don't let anything touch it. But what I see happen is we receive truth in this room, and then we go out there and we hear other sorts of things, and we go, oh, I guess God's not real. I guess He's not going to show up for me. Whatever. That was a man's voice, by the way. <laughs> we got to guard the promise, and it looks in all sorts of ways, practical ways. We got to guard from sin. We got to guard from lies. We got to guard from self talk. All of it. One of the ways in which practically you could consider doing this, or just an example of it, is what I do with my cell phone. I've got um, some guardrails on my phone. You can do this with your Apple devices or probably your Androids. I don't know. They're really crappy phones, but um, I'm just kidding. But you can put these different parameters on your phone that would keep you from using it at certain times. Um, and one of the things I do practically is my wife has the password, and I can't download certain apps, and my phone can't go to certain places. Let me give you an example. I can't research items from Dick's Sporting Goods. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're like, oh my gosh, should I be concerned about one of our pastors? Well, yes, but you didn't laugh as much. Okay. But I do it because I want to guard the promise. I do it because I'm a human. Yes, it's super annoying. Yesterday, I was picking up something from Walmart, and they go, download the app so then you can pick it up on your wife's behalf. I can't download anything like Walmart's app. Unless I get home and then da da da. So it's inconvenient, 
but what would it look like for you to choose to guard the promise? Because what I want is a healthy marriage. Because I want a covenant with my eyes and God to say, I'm not going to look upon another person with lust in my eyes. And I don't know what it would be for you, but what does it look like for you to guard the promise in your life so that you can become who you're called to be? It might be putting guardrails around how you spend money. It might be putting guardrails on your phone or your digital devices or your kids' devices. Because all of us are prone to allow something to come in and steal what God had placed as good. Each every one of us has this temptation to receive the promise of God's good, that His grace is, is, is true, His forgiveness is true, and yet live like it's not. This is why we need Jesus. The curse in reverse always begins with Jesus. And it's only possible through Jesus. See, I showed you the unraveling of Abraham. And you get to the turn in Genesis 12 and it begins to move upward. But the reality is, time and time and time again, Abraham and his family make a mess of things again in the midst of the blessing. And so God sends his son into the world to be the perfect example of what it looks like to live into the blessing. And this is one of the reasons why we thought it was so exciting to talk about the blessing and the curse. Because Jesus sees this understanding of what it's like to choose blessing or curse. He knows the challenge of, of humanity. And look at what Galatians 3 makes sense of who Jesus is. And we end with this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung up on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing, look at this, given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles or the nations, that's you and I, through Jesus, that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Paul saw what happened through Jesus giving and dying his life for us on the cross and raising to life again as the pinnacle story. Boom, it is finished. Humans' attempts to try to receive and step into the blessing fail and fail and fail, and Jesus steps onto the scene, and he says, I can, I can, I can. I've got the big shovel. In fact, better than that, I'm the bulldozer. A few years ago, we had the crazy blizzard storm, and I'm driving home in Roberts, uh, Wisconsin, and there's a few different um, roundabouts. And literally, you know, I'm from Iowa. I'm used to um, driving in the snow and the crazy and the ice and the whole thing. But this was like pretty stinking bad. It was dark out, the whole thing. I could barely see, you know, the, the, the two feet in front of me, that whole thing. I almost get stuck a number of times. I'm going around one of these roundabouts, and there's the big old snow not blower. What is it? The bulldozer plow. Thank you, the snow plow. And he comes around the corner and he paves the way for me. Not just for me, but I ride right behind him and I'm as secure as I'm ever going to be. That's the picture, another snow picture of what Jesus does for us. Our best attempts to stay on the road will find us in the ditch, but Jesus with the snowplow, will come and pave a way. And if you've gotten used to that story, get unused to that story. 
We're a church that's committed to following behind the snowblower, the bulldozer, the snowplow, if I could ever get it right, and follow where Jesus is sending us. He's the one who heals the heart. He's the one who makes change. He's the one who is going to heal this land. And it starts with us saying, Jesus, I can't do it on my own. You're the snowplow and I'm the spoon. And together we will partner and we will do this thing that you're calling us to do. It's the curse in reverse, people. This is why we're on the planet. Make a ton of money. Or enjoy your retirement. I'm looking out there. There's a lot of different everything here. And reverse the curse. Participate with him. When he invites you to go left, go left. When he invites you to help out, help out. When he invites you to give, give. Because of what he's done for us. It will be the best life you could ever dream of. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for those that are with us in person and online. I thank you for what you've done through your son, Jesus. Thank you for the way that you've made a way where there was no way for any of us. And you plowed ahead. You plowed through so we could walk in your footsteps and in your way. Lord, may we turn in our big old shovels and once again, grasp a hold of the thing that you actually gave us, the spoon that we're designed to have. May we participate and listen to your voice, your still small voice as you lead and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen.